then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Do you believe in life after addiction? You better believe it. Now, the host of Life After Addiction. All right, Bruce, episode 20. What a landmark day, man. I'm excited to talk about the things we're going to do today. Two, zero. 20. You better believe it, <laughs> right? All right, so today, Bruce, what we're going to talk about is something pretty interesting, man, something that we've had to deal with over the last couple of years, not deal with, but like felt called to pursue. Today, we're going to talk about righteousness versus complacency. Why don't you bring us in here? What do we mean, righteousness versus complacency? Yeah, well, I think righteousness is one of those biblical words, and really what we're talking about is, is man, doing the right thing. <clears throat> and just from my own testimony, I used to be one of those guys that was like, you know, what does this really matter, what I do, not really hurting anybody. And let me just give you an example. I'd go to the grocery store, I'd pick up something on the aisle, and then I'd decide later I don't want it, and I'd just put it back anywhere that I just was easiest for me and wouldn't care, even if it was milk, you know, and I knew that it was going to spoil if somebody didn't catch it in time. I didn't care. I would just put it back. And you might think, well, gosh, Bruce, that's, that's pretty picky about stuff. That's but petty, man. That's petty. petty. Why, what are you talking about? We're talking about petty things here. But, man, it, it just, I know that things like that lead to other stuff. Mm. And, man, we can get down into some nitty-gritty of things that are going to make people angry in their their walk in Christianity and to say, well, it's okay to do that. I mean, it's not really that big a deal, you know, but God calls us to righteousness to do what is right. Yeah. And, and it's this... What is the definition of, um, oh gosh, now I'm going to draw a blank. What, what you, you do what's right even though no one's looking just because it's the right thing to do. And, um, integrity? Integrity, there yeah. you go, right. So God calls us to an integrity yeah. and to walk a straight path. And, and so some people might call it petty, but it, you know, if you're willing to do this, then what are you really willing to do? And, and our enemy is prowling around like a lion. He's looking for a crack. Anywhere he can get in and say, okay, well, Bruce, if you're willing to do that, then maybe you're willing to do this too. And, and, and so we're called to this righteousness that leads us to a, a different type of integrity where, you know, I mean, you're not going to be perfect. I'm not saying that. And you don't have to be ashamed or feel guilty about everything because you can't do everything right. But it's yeah. like, man, are you making an effort? Are you are you bothered by the things that you were once complacent with, and because if you are, then you that is proof that the Holy Spirit's working within you, and you're either going to answer it or you're not. And these things can lead to a different course in your life through blessing. I mean, I'll just read you Proverbs twenty one twenty one. Right, it says, uh, "Whoever pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity, and honor." Mm. So, I mean, we have to address the, 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 the fact that we call ourselves good yeah. and we think that's acceptable to God. Uh, the sad fact is, is there's going to be a lot of good people that are going to go to hell. Yeah. And, you know, it's not enough to say, well, I'm saved by God, therefore, you know, I'm good to go. I can do whatever I want. That's, man, I remember this one verse that I read early in my, my walk with Christ that just floored me. It floored me because it gave me this new perspective of God's expectation of me and and the things that I would just be like okay with in life and think that it doesn't really matter. And it's James four seventeen mm. that says that 
for for the man who knows what to do and chooses not to do it for that man it's a sin yeah now this brought to me uh uh a light bulb that that just said here's a new way of looking at what sin is yeah it it has nothing to do with the 10 commandments or these ordinances or the stuff it's just like man basically if you know the right thing to do and you choose not to do it it's a sin yeah i'm like dang that like that's a that covers a lot of stuff, heavy, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want I want to go back a little bit just because the the grocery store example, man. Yeah. So many people can relate to that. <laughs> and, and what I think is, I don't want people like you said. We already addressed people. Oh, you're, you're being a little bit. You're being a little bit. Just you know. But but I don't want people also to hear us saying legalism. Right. We're not yeah. we're not saying doing these things. We're talking about the heart, and we're talking about man actually. There's there's an effort to be put in. There's a work to be put in when you're training for righteousness. When like everything inside of you is just like, man, I'm in a hurry. I'll just stick this whatever right here on the shelf and I got to go check out. Man, what we're saying is, hey, see what happens when you decide inside of yourself because of the new spirit that God's put in you that you're going to resist that act of laziness or inconvenience and actually walk back to the thing and put it back in, see what that does for you, and make that start to be a pattern of your life. And here's the scripture. I mean, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy was like a um, kind of like a Padawan. Protege. <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah. An apprentice. <laughs> a protege of Paul. And Paul's writing to him. Man, and Paul actually said he's, he sees him as a son, right? And he says this, have, and this is First uh, Timothy chapter four. It says, "Have nothing to do with irre- irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of the value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." And that word "train," I think it's like gymnasio, gymnasio, gymnasio in the Greek. Man, sorry, I don't have it. I'm not firmed up on it but it's it's where we get the word gymnasium right and so it's talking about sweat it's talking about training that's an action how do you train yourself for godliness you do things and that story example is so petty it is but it's so real that you actually the conviction there is this is not where it goes i'm gonna put the effort in and take it back that's training yourself for godliness yeah, man even though key, it's silly right i think the key word there is conviction i mean yeah. do you care yeah does it bother you and this is what I was talking about good people. You know, there's a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus that, you know, for all intents and purposes have met the criteria for salvation. But yeah, they're not bothered by yeah. the things that they do. And, and man, nobody knows the heart of man except for God. And, and, but you know, like deep down, if you were to search yourself, like, am I, am I, why am I okay with that? Yeah. And yeah. what else am I going to be okay with? And and we have a real enemy that I don't think people really respect, and that he's looking and he's you. he's looking to to it's insidious and, and insidious. I used to hear that word in twelve step rooms, and <laughs> I had to go look it up one day. I was like, "What does insidious mean?" It's like an evil waiting in ambush. Yeah, which is kind of funny if you think about it for people who have a god of their own understanding, but they would believe in an evil. I digress. Yeah. Uh, but what, what's happening here is, man, are, are you seeking the things that are right or are you, seek, are you just okay with 
you know, not caring and, and doing whatever. And, and uh, I mean, it leads somewhere. Yeah. Like you can't say you're not influenced by that. Yeah. And, and not only, I would, I would, yes, conviction, but I would also say, man, just that little at first, man, when we're talking about, maybe we're talking about some young Christians early in this walk, maybe you just got off some, uh, over some struggles in life. And there's going to be that just little feeling of conviction. You don't even know what it is. You wouldn't even label it as conviction. Just that little voice in your head, man, take that back. And it's so easy to put it there on the shelf. And, we're, man, we're just saying watch what happens because in both ways. Let me give a story. Uh, and this story is used. It's a biblical story, a biblical act of history. King David, you know it, David and Bathsheba, right? And The, the story doesn't end with uh, – it doesn't begin with murder, no. Right? It begins with at the time of Just war, looking. when kings should be at war. It begins before that. It says, when kings should be at war, David was at home. David was a king. Yeah. So he was not where he was supposed to be, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's on his roof and he sees a woman bathing and he doesn't avert her eyes. And then that leads into adultery. Then that leads into murder. And so it's these different things, these progressions. And like you said, if it starts there with just leaving something on the shelf, it can roll into something else. But if that's true, which we're proclaiming it is, then the opposite is true. You taking it back to the place where it's supposed to go, then that's going to lead to something else too, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to lead to a a righteousness over complacency, which is what we're calling this show. Yeah, which you could also say, man, uh, that's where forgiveness uh, is bred, right? Like, how can I ask for forgiveness if I'm not aware of the thing that I'm doing that needs to be forgiven? And so what you're saying, Adam, is unrighteousness is the gateway to other things. Sure. Right? And that's absolutely true. And let me let me clarify that James 4.17 again. It says, for that man, it's a sin. And let me give you an example of that. And this is where we're talking about, you know, it's not legalism. And, and you have to be careful of that because otherwise yeah. you find yourself judging people unfairly. Sure. And so, man, one of the things for me, for me, that I had to do that keeps me on the straight and narrow, right, was I decided that, you know what, I'm not going to speed anymore. I'm just going to drive the speed limit. Hmm. Now, all it takes, I mean, try this on your own and see what, what I'm talking about. You, you go out there on the interstate and you drive the speed limit you're going to find out real quickly how many people are not doing that. Now, does that give me the right to judge people and say, man, you all are, you know, you're unrighteous, you know, you're all breaking the law, whatever, and, you're, you know, and, and my thoughts about what kind of people those are, you know, I mean, I, I, mean, I can't do that, right? Yeah. But for me, for me, I decided that I wasn't going to speed anymore. And because what it did for me was it gave me a sense of peace. Yeah. And, and for me, it, it made me feel better about myself, and, and those that was something I chose to do, and and so it helped me. It helped me to to be at a different place about the things that I call righteous or unrighteous. And for me, so that's what that verse says: for that man, it's a sin. Yeah. Meaning, if you've decided, hey, if I continue to do this thing, you know, it, it's going to make me feel convicted. It's going to make me feel uncomfortable, and I'm just going to do it anyway. Well, that's why it says for that man, it's a sin. Right. So I, that was important to me, and I made that decision. Now, I can't demand that other people do that. Uh, but for me, that's what I needed. I needed it. And, you know, for me, and the reason I say it brought peace to me is, man, I, I lived in the city my whole life. I've, I've dealt with traffic and the commuting part of my life. And 
just like a lot of people can can relate to this man it brings frustration it brings anger it brings you know just this this seated kind of uh, unrest for me and what i realized when i stopped speeding man everybody's passing me i'm not trying to pass other people and <laughs> it, it gave a lot of room like i wasn't bumper to bumper with people anymore i was just like i was the guy that was driving in the right lane and no, I, yeah. I had I, I, some things started to change in that. Like I, the aggression went away. Like I, I wasn't angry at people because I was just people were passing me. I wasn't worried about passing them, and it was just like I had plenty of room to operate. And it's just the way it was. And I, yeah. I had to deal with the fact that I had got to places a little bit later than other people did, and I had to adjust for those kind of things. But that's just an example of how. For me, I had to deal with that, and I couldn't be okay with it anymore. Yeah. And it, it brought some it seems, things changed in my life because of it. Yeah, so I'm not sanctified to that place yet, Bruce. <laughs> I will confess on this yeah. show that I still speed at times. Mm-hmm. But hey, so righteousness versus complacency, and I think even at the question that we have, we, we've got just a few minutes to answer this question, but I think I want to give it some time because it's a good question. Um, righteousness versus complacency, man. We we want you guys make the righteous thing. Don't be complacent where you are. I mean, in all of these things, adding them up, Bruce just explained it. I explained it. Um, man, when you make the decision for righteousness, that training for godliness, you act on it. It's sweat. It's extra. It's it, there's physical activity to act on it. Then acting on it becomes easier and easier. Mm. That goes both ways. Unrighteousness becomes easier yeah. and easier. And so you're training for godliness and doing this and and maybe more things you feel more convicted about. And that sounds a lot like sanctification, doesn't it? Yeah. So awesome it's man. Change, man. It's, it's change. change yeah. It's change towards the image of God, the the one degree of glory to the next. So so here's the question, man. Uh and, it, and it's very interesting. So lately I've been having discussions with some non believers, and while they most mostly stay civil. Sometimes the other party can become somewhat aggressive. Here's the question. When is it okay to dust off my sandals and move on to the next town to quote the New Testament? They did. So I sounded like Yoda. To quote New Testament, they did. <laughs> Not the terrible. <laughs> Great question, though, man. And, and um, I'll, I'll kind of start us off here I, I, because I'm, I, I'm picking up on this. And when is it okay to dust off the sandals? The Bible clearly says he sends disciples to these cities that they don't hear your word or if they reject you or whatever. Dust off your sandals. Move to the next move to the next town, right? Dust off your sandal. The dust off of that town and move on to the next to, to talk about Jesus. So the question is when is it okay to do that? Because you also hear things in Scripture about grace and loving people and meeting people where they are and you know and those kind of things. And so – I would say this because of my own heart, um, there's a season that I enjoyed debate. And, and I believe the, the question does talk about non-believers. I enjoyed debating, man, for the sake of debating. And there's you do that for – I did that for a season. I'll use me. I did that for a season, man, a pretty long season. And then it just hit me, man, that inside of these debates with the goal to win the debate, that's the goal. And my, that's my wicked heart, right? I want to win the debate. It wasn't to guide people to Christ. It was to win the debate. At the end of that season, I believe God led me to a place of, Adam, you're leaving the same way you believed during this debate. And guess what? So are they. 
They're leaving believing the exact same thing they believed before you began the debate. And so I had to start questioning my motives before entering into things. Yeah. Slow down, Adam. What's your motive? Your motive is to love them. God's called you to be a light. You just want to show Christ in this in this discussions and talking to unbelievers. And I believe that answer his question, um, if it's not to win a debate, if it's not to argue for the sake of argument, God will reveal when it's time to move on. You know, yeah. I mean, we have to trust the Holy Spirit in these things. And are we, you know, and your motive actually is is a good way to approach it. Because if my motive is that I have to win the conversation in order that I feel secure in my salvation, yeah. Meaning, if I lose the debate, now am I questioning my salvation? Mm-hmm. That's a good point too. I mean, so yeah, you got to be careful about what you're trying to do in that situation. And I, I can give you a good example. I, my wife. It's a photographer, and she had a um, uh, a showing one time at an event, and I went with her to support her. Uh, it was her first one, and so it was a big deal, and uh, she was really nervous about it. And she brought this friend of hers with her, who this friend used to be a believer, and now she's an atheist, and she loves debating. Yeah. You know this whole thing because she's actually got some knowledge of scripture. Uh, but her her stance on it and everything is very warped, and and so she enjoys the the debate. And I found myself because she knew that I was a pastor, and she just came and attacked me, right? Mm. And I found myself in this debate, and uh, it ended up, man. Before I knew it, it was the entire event. My wife was so disappointed in me. I didn't oh, support her there, and so this this whole thing trapped me. In something that derailed what I came to do and prevented me from doing because I was so caught up into I've got to win this debate. I've, I've got to prove to this person that they're wrong and I'm right. And, and man, my, my goal was, man, hopefully they'll now see the truth and they'll be changed. And, you know, but somewhere in there, somewhere in there, I should have had discernment to say, you know what, th- this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I, I'm supposed to be doing this other thing. This is like Satan is using it to to derail, derail yeah. me from the thing that I was called to do, and and therefore I I've, I was caught in a trap and caught and I fell for it. I fell for it, and and it, and man, it caused some problems, at least for that evening with yeah. my wife and and uh, and what she expected of me. And and the thing is, man, is that we can't save anybody, right? That's right. And there was one point that I was wanting to make in all this, and I think the most important part is what is your countenance in all of this? Yeah. Are people seeing you get frustrated? Are people seeing you get aggressive also? Uh, what is it that you're presenting to people? Are you calm? Are you graceful? Are you gentle? Are you loving? Do you, you raise your voice? Because you, you know, if people see your security and, and your belief, I mean, you don't really have to, to debate very long. And he said, see, not hear. Right, yeah. see, not hear, and and I'll, and I'll add to this because we're talking about unbelievers, but man, there is also a lot of debate amongst believers, a lot about a lot of different doctrine, a lot, a lot of different things, mm-hmm. and so I would just advise anyone, whenever engaging in a conversation, defending your faith, any apologetics, I would say your content, your countenance, but also your motive, man, and, and knowing that it's pure heart, and and. What is your motive? What is your outcome trying to be? Is it to be right, to be secure in your belief, or is it to usher people to Christ? Is it to 
defend your faith in a positive way. And yeah, I think also addressing this piece of scripture that the, the question was derived from about dusting off your sandals. I mean, what that talks about in scripture is that it, you can feel okay about leaving it behind. Like you don't have to feel guilty that you didn't win somebody over to salvation or you lost the argument or you have to question your own faith because of it. You just dust your sandals off and you move That's on right. to the next town. Good meaning, point. Meaning, man, it's okay. I don't have to win. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm discounting the power of the Holy Spirit and I personally can't save anybody. I'm called to, to represent. Good point. Uh, and, and it's Great okay to, to walk away from these things and maybe even to not go back to that conversation for a time. Like I can love somebody from a distance. I don't have to be around them all the time and, and, and engage in these debates knowing that that's what's going to happen. And, and, right. Uh, and so I, the, if the question's a timestamp of when, when is it okay to do that, let's just go back to the Scripture itself and it might answer itself. And if anyone will not receive you or... Listen to your words. So if they won't listen to you or won't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and when you leave that house or town. Mm. So if they're not listening to you or if they're not receiving you, you're not welcome, then it's time to dust the, the dust your feet off, right? Now, that could be physically, I'm not going to hear this, right? Then the Bible's saying, okay, then you know, dust your feet off and maybe they come back. Or it could be that they're just not hearing you in the middle of a conversation, just waiting to respond, and that's where discernment comes in. Are you wasting mm-hmm. time? Are you playing games of debate? But the answer's there. When is it okay is when they won't receive you or they won't listen to your words. Yeah, and then just to give you an example of, of the one that I gave about this person in my wife's photography event, I mean, it was an hour and a half went by. I didn't even realize how long, and the event was over. Wow. And and, I, and nothing was gained, not one single thing. If anything, that person was more in defense of their belief than they were when they started the whole thing. I mean, yeah. I wasn't meant to to be in that, and, and I chose to be so, and it, it proved and did absolutely nothing. Yeah. Closing thoughts. Anything, Bruce? Love you. Life After Addiction is a production of S2L Recovery. If you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast, email them to info at springtolife.net. That's info at spring, the number two, life.net. And for more information on addiction recovery, visit s2lrecovery.org. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because that's how it works. (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at LifeAudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.